They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye-bye, bye-bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. Hey, how you doing? I I went up high then because um, I'm just trying to, you know, mix stuff up, mix it up a bit. It's good. It's for it's for our dog listeners out there. Get oh, them right. extra excited. Yeah, I'm going to start wrapping it next. How are you doing, buddy? Good. Well, we've just had the whole weekend together. We have, haven't we? Not in that way. It wasn't that sort of party. <laughs> <laughs> Although yeah, I did awesome. get mistaken for your fiance twice. That is, well, I don't think mistaken for her. It's people um, that never met her. Yes. assumed that I was yeah. her because I was standing next to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which, you know, I like to think I'm a little bit out of your league, Ali Bailey, to be fair. I know. Well, you did have me on a lead with a bag in <laughs> my head. So that might have been why people thought that, you know, here's my woman that I drag around. Running festivals. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But um, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Bad Boy Running. Hooray. We might have some new listeners after the weekend. We might do, in fact. there's. Um, are we going to be putting out the live podcast in podcast format or is that something that we might do it's a little bit short and a little bit echoey but if you want to see the live podcast it is on facebook so you just go into the bad boy running group and you uh, google live at love trails got google it search it in the bar live at love trails and it pops up magic yeah i mean love trails let's start on that shall we i mean yeah. uh, that was that was amazing it was good fun wasn't it it was um it was lovely gower is so nice yeah what a place yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they rotate round their locations or whether they they think this is beautiful. Yeah. Here, but yeah. um, yeah, we well the podcast. I I was quite surprised firstly that people had turned up, and then the ones who turned up didn't know who we were. I thought we'd just have our our do badders there, but um, yeah, we, we had a couple, didn't we? Yeah, we weren't singing to the converted by any means, and uh, I, it it does seem that people hate cyclists, which is a good thing. It wasn't just us. No, it wasn't just us. But um, should we just explain what Love Trails is to people that don't know what it is? Because Love Trails sounds like a really bad film that you might get from the top shelf for news agents. Yeah, actually, yeah, indeed. Well, it's it's a festival that's it's a third year now, but second proper year, and it's the, across between Glastonbury and running, really, where they've they've brought bands. I think it's more across between latitude and running, to be quite honest, because there was a, yeah. there was, you know, you know, because it's this, they you get across, you, you kind of, it's kind of a lot of London type runners that were there, like it's yeah. quite a lot of people that drank smoothies. There were, were there even smoothies there though? Yeah, there were, and they were seven hundred and fifty pounds each. <laughs> <laughs> they were made out of gold. That's probably why I didn't find them. Exactly. Yeah. I was first at the bar every day. That's all <laughs> I'm saying, and only at the bar every day. But it was really lovely. It's on the Gower Peninsula and it's um, kind of it's, it's very kind of small there was 900 people there and um, you camp and then you have yoga and you have uh, mindfulness and you have obviously running so people go out and do um, distances between 50k there's a 5k there's a few 14 they would do everything in k I don't understand why that is because I don't work in k sure actually I never thought of that is it to make yeah. it feel further but I think they probably need to do the reverse because I think that was probably one of the limitations of the the location was to get somewhere was at least a 10k 
Yeah, yeah, it was. If you wanted to get out to any of the sites, you know, castles or this or that or whatever, or the Blue Pool, for example, yeah. it was a good 10k out. But it was stunning. It was really beautiful. Yeah. Lovely trails like woodland and marshland and heathland and um, sand. And um, we had a nice little run out, didn't we? Well, interestingly enough, so I was I was down to lead a couple of the the runs but it turned out the first one actually was clashing with a talk actually it turned out the second one was clashing with a talk which is why i didn't yeah. make my second talk yeah. but um where we were running there's there was an element the the tide of this estuary was incredible it would it would go out for 100 meters and remember when we ran across those stepping stones yeah the the on the sunday uh, when we went out at 11 the group had gone at nine that had flooded and what? Yeah, the water level was so high that um, someone, I think someone fell in and then the, the group had to go an extra mile <gasps> and a half think... round to get round it. That's the difference. Of the someone water. fell in. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I love it. <laughs> I, well, that, I mean, I think... I, I've worded that nicely, just just for legalities. But I think they might even cut their leg. Not badly, not a deep cut, not a deep cut, but enough that they drown. Did anyone that, find them? Have they gone? They the, the whole group got washed out to sea. Oh, God. It's the Chinese the Chinese cockle pickers gone. You know, equivalent in Wales. Uh, Amazing. Wow, but, that's um. I didn't think it would flood. Like I was like, everything's quite low because it's so dry. But yeah, that just shows you, doesn't it? Estuaries can flood. Yeah, absolutely. But um, what was your highlight? I mean, did she any good talks you liked? Um, I saw your friend Hugh was amazing. Oh. I loved him. We have to get him on the podcast. Like he was so infectious and inspiring and brilliant and enthusiastic. And um, I went. He did Dragons Back, so I went and watched his film on the Sunday. They had films showing in the little tent, and yeah. uh, it was so hot. I was like, I'm just going to lay down here and watch a film. Um, and it was a film called Conquering the Dragons Back. It's on iPlayer, I think. And it's on about... at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I think it's on at the moment. Oh. So um, it's only 45 minutes long, but it's absolutely nearly made me cry because it's got all the epic music and obviously it focuses on five of the runners um and whether or not they make it and the struggles they go through some of them through mental struggles some too physical and i just thought right that's it signing up for dragon's back because it just looks epic but i loved his talk i thought it was brilliant um one of those voices you could listen to endlessly Oh my god, yeah. I was like, we were camping quite near him, and some mornings I just lay there and I could hear him talking. Like, mm. um, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed his talk. I loved the BMR relay. That was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Oh yeah, especially if you got it handed to you by an American. <laughs> well, the we were saying that because um, Gabe, who was at the World Champs as well, was there, and I knew he was going to hand it to me big time, which he did. But I think the Love Trails BMR was far just far better than the World Champs. The energy was in, yeah, because having those group of drummers there and then um, everyone's so close, concentrated just on the finish area. And the, so the, if you don't know what the, the beer mile is, it's four cans of beer, four laps of 400 metres. Um, but the fact you couldn't see anyone once they were around the first corner, it then kind of built the anticipation. And you know that people ran, went flat out to that first corner jogged the whole way round and then as soon as they could be seen picked up the pace again so it looked like everyone was flying around hundreds of miles an hour but um yeah that was just so good because i so much fun until then yeah because the campsite was away from where the presentations were it meant that you didn't really it didn't feel as if there were even 400 people there because you never got that 
cluster of everyone together. I think this is the first time that everyone actually came onto the campsite and yeah. really got involved. And you, it, it, that's when you're like, yeah, this is a festival. This is fun. And then yeah, that's when that's when I was like, because I felt because everyone's going out and running a lot. Sometimes it's quite sparse, and you feel, mm. you just feel like there's nobody there. Um, uh, but then obviously they're all out doing their thing. But then when after beer mile, then it was like party time. That, that was Saturday, wasn't it? Mm. When uh, they had all the bands on and everyone got dressed up in their finery. Damn it, I didn't bring anything glittery to wear. Uh. Next time I will be dressed as a glittery unicorn. But um, it was just so much fun, and you know, correspondents were great. I thought DJ Yoda was amazing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we just, I just met, I didn't meet a lot of really nice people. I met the City Hash, so I'm going out hashing in a couple of weeks with oh, them. quality. I know, I'm not scared anymore because they've told me not to be. Did you go um, on the hash or? No, I, I didn't go on the hash because I was, do you know why? Because I was in this workshop called um, How to Put on Your Own Race. <laughs> um, and uh, it was led by a guy um, who was talking about putting on your own race. Um, you, you've probably so, yeah, got we a PhD now. It's the level of I, education I have... you'd have got in that room. I know. I actually came out more stupid than when I went in, which is quite interesting. Um, but so I didn't go out on the hash, but I did um, I did go out for a couple of runs. And to be honest with you, because the, the guided runs are so mixed ability, there's, I think there was a lot of stopping and starting, and that kind of yeah. made me like, oh, which is not in the spirit of things, but this, the mental state I was in that weekend dictated that I needed to go out on my own. So I went out on my own on um, on Sunday for a little run. Um, and, yeah, but I, did, I really, really enjoyed it. I just wish that it had been you know the camping I wish had been in nearer the village so that when you got up in the morning you'd get coffee yeah. and I understand some people want to get a good night's sleep but you know no booze on the site no this on the site no kids on the site and I think kids always make it much more festively and much more fun um so but all in all it was a really nice weekend and I did meet a lot of nice people who I'm now in contact with so um that's wonderful yeah and I think the correspondence as well I just love them so much I've never I think that is the most high energy crowd I've ever seen do you? Yeah. You're probably right. You're probably right. Most high energy crowd that are high energy because they're high energy and not because they're off their face on pingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, in terms of, you go to crowds and there are people jumping up and down or there are people off their face who are dancing. But yeah. this, I, at one point I just thought, oh my God, am I, am I stood at the front here going mental and everyone else is just sat there, like stood there watching and I'm making a fool of myself. And I turn around. And everyone was going properly mental as well. No one was trying to dance cool because the correspondence dancer is, he looks like he's having an epileptic fit at times. It just gave you permission. Is that offensive? Is that offensive? Well, I think, I think epileptics are, are wonderful dancers, wonderful dancers. But, um, and because of that, it just gave you permission to, basically the rule was, as long as you move quickly enough, it doesn't matter what move you're doing because um, that's that's just what the, the crowd are doing now. And so, the, oh, I just thought it was incredible. I've, yeah, absolutely loved it. Um, also, can I just raise a query about the following day when I heard the following conversation? Um, I thought what he had given to me was a minty sweet, but it turns out it wasn't, and I've never drunk coffee before. Because <laughs> oh, no. this girl, this girl apparently was dancing on her own right <laughs> at the end of the night when the music had been switched off. And her mates were like, are you all right? And she's like, yeah, no, I'm having a great time. Because she's taken one of your dirty, dirty tablets. Oh, no. And she doesn't drink coffee. Uh, well, that's so I've, I've had a bit of a, an issue with the factory in the in the last manufacturing round and so they wrapped half of the sweets not in branded caffeine bullet um wrappers so i've got these white sweets that look oh my god 
I mean, I don't know if they look dodgy, but they, they don't look good. And, uh, oh, and, God. So, yeah, the correspondence, I, and I was actually quite drunk by this stage because I'd done the beer mile, then I'd done a few more laps, and then, yeah. But I went around and gave everyone a caffeine bullet, but it could have been in my enthusiasm and the noise that people had no idea what the hell was going on. And I, I did Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And they do look like cheap toffees that like a person in the park might give you, the ones you're not supposed to eat. Yeah, I mean, that's how I've been using them previously. But um, yeah, and so there were, <laughs> there were people who clearly didn't take them because they thought they were more than just caffeine. Um, but then on the other side, there were people who probably didn't realise they were caffeine and, and had... Uh, yeah, a buzzy time for had, a while. Had a buzzy time. Did anyone snort any? That would be impressive. I'd like to have seen that. Not that I know of, but I wouldn't put it past... Well, probably not in that crowd, to be fair, but um, yeah. I wouldn't put it past someone at some point. And can yeah. we also just give a um, mention to Danny, because he was so good all weekend. Like, he was looking after everyone, and he was making oh. everyone laugh, and he was just a glorious creature to be around. Yeah, I mean, having Danny Bent as your compare, it just ties everything together with warmth. And, mm-hmm. and just makes it just sets the tone really that everyone there is a friend and lovely and yeah he's such a legend yeah. such a legend but um i can't wait to, to next year to see what they do you know if they move the place if they yeah. you know is this are they going three thousand next year or um i think it's gonna be hard to top the music though because it was really good wasn't it it was yeah. really good but also i think a lot of people there because i'm a bit jaded when it comes to music obviously because i've had to go to festivals for mm. years but i think a lot of people there are the sort of people that only maybe go to one or two so it's like mm. it's actually nice watching people dance to music where it's they're, they're genuinely enjoying it other than just there because they have to be there and they're on off their faces on gack and they're drunk and but this was genuinely like woohoo we're having a great time and yeah. dj yoda was amazing like he played all the hits i really like that I thought it was great yeah absolutely but um well what have you been doing other than love trails you've been out racing haven't you uh well i've been out wrecking and i've been out you know, I haven't been out racing. I've been out wrecking and having a good time. So I went to Snowdon a couple of weeks ago with Rat Race to do a recce. Basically, what they're doing is they're sending me out there. So if I die, it doesn't matter. It's like well, technically my life is not worth insuring. I mean, I, I um, felt that way for a long time, Ali. But yeah, yeah. I yeah. Good that legally like, they've put that down. Ambassador or actually doesn't matter if she, she goes, no one will miss her. So <laughs> they took us out to Snowdon and we... Uh, it's, it's a project, one of their little projects called Subterranean Snowden. You start at the bottom of a mine, like a yeah. mile down, and then you climb out the mine. How, how do you get down there? You get down in like this rickety old um, train. Like the, it's like it just goes straight down. Okay. It's really quite scary. Um, it's very, very rickety. And there's this old like Welsh miner guy that takes you down there. And there's all these tunnels. This was just before those kids went missing in the cave in Thailand. Yeah, so I was like, I was I thought, if it was post, I would have been like, maybe not. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, and then you have to climb, and then you climb up out of it, up this track that used to be the track where they would take all of the slate up. So it's yeah. really steep, and it's a bit of a scramble, to be honest, and we all know my history of scrambles. <laughs> um, so and it's like it's completely pitch black. You can see the, literally see the light at the end of the tunnel. So you head for the light, you pop out the top, and then, and I'm sorry about this, everybody, but I, it, was, it was not my – like, they made me do it. It wasn't my choice. I had to get on a bike. Ooh. Okay. Just mountain bikes or little tricycles? It, it was a mountain bike. It was not a road bike. So it's, it a, it's a letter of sins, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't mine. It was belonged to, to the mountain bike people. But I haven't ridden a bike for quite some time. And um, I was kind of more worried about the bike than anything else. So um, they had this guide called Helen and she was lovely, like a professional mountain biker. And she basically taught me how to ride my bike, which was great. So... Um, <laughs> 
off we went on our mountain bikes and we rode for about 15 miles. Some of it's road, but most of it is mountain. So it's a sort of technical trail you get on Snowdon, yeah. which is kind of scary when you haven't ridden a bike for a while. But she taught me how to balance on the pedals and put the seat down and bounce, like sort of bounce down, like kangaroo yeah. bounce down. So much fun. Um, not so much fun for my friend Darren, who bought his road bike and was having to carry it on his shoulders. Yeah. Oh, nightmare. Typical, typical cyclist. Um, so you do that 15 miles, you get to the bottom of, um, I think it's called the Warden Trail. Yeah. Uh, by this point, it's pissing down with rain because it's Wales. Um, and the tea shop wasn't open, so I was angry. Never mind, got a cheese sandwich in the bag. And uh, so we started to walk, run up this trail, which is so beautiful. It's got waterfalls. It's It was quite foggy, but it was stunning. Um, Pete Reese is there with little Pete the drone, um, thinking we're going to get some epic shots. And then you know how it's on Snowden, how you turn a corner and suddenly you cannot see anything yeah, yeah. the fog is on you the clag that's what Hugh calls it the clag is on you and um so yeah we were going up this path which is very very steep and it's a scramble there's loads of scrambling and it's basically a ridge that takes you to the top of Snowden yeah lucky for me it was too foggy to see the edge so I was fine um <laughs> literally Pete was maybe four meters behind me and I kept turning around and I couldn't see him like it's so easy to get lost up there and yeah. um, we had a little mountain dog with us who had a little light on his collar yeah so we were following him and following the guide got to the summit of snowden went up to the uh, trig point to, to go woohoo but it was so windy <laughs> i thought i was gonna fall off got changed the cafe was shut that's how windy and foggy it was um sort of got changed in the rain which made yeah. no sense ran down a bit and then abseiled down three massive waterfalls which was epic wow like, it is so cool i can't even think where they are on scene because i've only taken the same old route. I've, I think I've yeah. done two routes up and one route down Snowden they're, in the past. So I can't even think quite, of waterfalls. They're quite hard to find. And mm. they are, they're, they're near a, if you go on my blog, it says exactly where they are. But yeah. it's a Welsh name, so I can't think what it is. But they're very well hidden. And it, it's all the ropes are up there. Ross and Stu from Rat Race are up there. So they get you in place. Pete Reese refused point blank to do the abseil. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, it was brilliant. I've, I've abseiled before, but never on completely soaking wet rock with 500 tonnes of water coming at me. So yeah. it was, but it was amazing. I did actually end up in being waterboarded by nature and smashed against the rock. So I looked like I've been in a car accident, but <laughs> I took it all in good, all in good uh, spirits. And yeah, and that was it. It was a fucking long day. It was like 13 hours to do the whole thing. But how can, how, how can that turn into something more than just four people do you think i mean how, what do you think they're planning on doing with that i think well it's a project so with the project the rat race project it's a separate part of the website they're not races they're projects and challenges yeah. they're the sort of thing you do as a group i think and you know you could do it with a group of mates as a stag or yeah. hen or birthday or corporate groups could do it as a team building type uh, thing I think. okay so it's not going to be something you sign up to by yourself you, you like, could on a do certain weekend it's, it's going to be more come yeah. with and we'll put this on for you yeah, but that's it. Come to us and we'll put it on for you. So there could be seven or eight of them a year, or there could just yeah. be one a year, um, and they can and you can do it as and when you want to do it, um, which is actually really really nice. Um, I'm going out tomorrow to do Goodwin Sands to recce that, which is the yeah. one in the middle of um, the strait between Dover and Calais. But yeah. that's been put off. I'm not joking. Six times we've had a phone call in the morning or afternoon before it saying don't come to Dover. It's put off because of fog or wind. So that's going to be more difficult for them because. If you've got a group of six people yeah. that have paid that money, they're going to want to do it. But yeah. even if the wind's a tiny bit too much, they're not going to be able to. The same with Snowdon. Like, if they're going to shut off the paths because it's too windy, um, which does happen, or too foggy, then you're going to have to just change your dates. But it was really good fun. I loved it. Um, yeah. 
uh, I'd recommend it to anyone. And then I went off to do Man vs. Coast, which was fun as well. Indeed. So, I mean, how does that compare to... Have you done any of the Man V series yet? No, that was my first go. Okay. I'm doing uh, I'm doing Lakes this weekend, but um, it was so fun. But I will tell you this now, do butters. It's a fun. It's a fun run rather than a race. So if you're going out to win, I wouldn't choose this one because there's five or six obstacles which are in the sea. So you run. It's from Penzance to Lanz to Lanz End. You run up from the bottom, up through Penzance, and then yeah. along the, the north coast. Um, and the first thing you have to do is get in the water. Um, so everyone's jumping in the water and there's this great big boy you have to swim out to but the boy wasn't tethered and kept moving further and further away so Jim Me had to get in the water with a life jacket on and people were having to swim around him and <laughs> cuddle him and drown him <laughs> it was very funny <laughs> um, so then you run along the beach you run up through uh, the middle of, of um, Cornwall once you hit the north coast which is yeah. so beautiful it makes you want to cry there's all sorts of little obstacles and they involve jumping off cliffs into the sea, basically. And it's very safe, pretty scary, but amazing. But to do those obstacles takes time. So it takes about 20, 30 minutes out of your race time. Yeah. And not every, you don't have to do it. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. If you're too scared, if you don't like it, fine. But the problem was that when we got to the end, um, it, there were lots of people who were pissed off because they were like, I think I'm top 10. I think I'm top five. Um, but you couldn't work out who was where because yeah. some people had done the obstacles and some people hadn't. Yeah, so yeah. if you straight ran it without the obstacles, you could do it in three and a half, four hours easy if you were good on hills. If you've done the obstacles, it's going to take you five, six hours. Yeah. So, you know, I was trying to explain to people, look, it's not really that sort of race. It's not like, um, you know, an ultra tour of Aaron or where everyone's doing the same thing or it's not like a um, wall or anything like yeah. that. It's, it's more of a, kind of experience or challenge fun thing but there are a few quite pissed off people who were like but it was their inaugural one things you know you learn yes. from stuff and it was really good fun i loved it and i think it comes from a lot of it as you say it's an inaugural one but it comes from the expectation because the man v series have all been races yeah and you do have obstacles in them but other than one year when you didn't have to necessarily abseil down from man v mountain mm -hmm. um which didn't really save you a huge amount of time. It would have done by the time the queues are built up because, you know, yeah. it takes a long time to have so. Um, yeah, they are races where you would go out. It's as hard as a marathon and, and mm -hmm. you, ha you, you know, you hammer it. You've got the vertical kilometre, which is a timed kilometre that they... Yeah, they had that. For. They had that on Man vs. Coast as well. Yeah, and so that, I, I guess that's more of the issue rather than... Cause people will be going into it with the mentality of I am here to race as hard as I can. And so mm -hmm. if they'd have gone in knowing actually this is going to happen, or if they just had a system where you can get your time, but yeah, I actually been thinking about this because they did set us off in waves, but I'm like, I think there should be waves of elites, elites being people that want to go out to win it. So you've chosen that and mm. they should actually go out an hour before we do, because then there's no queues. They can smash through. And then the people that are the challengers who just are doing it for the challenge, want to complete it, go out an hour later because you do get queues at things. You can only have one person jumping at a time. Mm. There's rope bridges that only one person could go on at a time. And there was a couple of, there were a couple of really big whacking queues uh, for the people that were at the front. But I don't uh, think that's an issue, though, because if you're at the front, you're the first guy gets through, the second guy probably gets through. But mm. then, you know, that becomes part of the tactics. Yeah, because I mean, but this the waves they put us in, they did, they did put us in three waves, but they were in 10 minutes apart and they were mixed mm. ability waves. They weren't like the fastest wave, the yeah. second fastest wave. They were literally just picked out names, picked out of a hat. 
So I think if they do it based more on what people want to achieve next time, oh, that'll work. Okay. Yeah. And and as you say, the you know, first year, live and learn. Um, hmm? But it, it's, I mean, it sounds like it's it's a good a compliment to the other ones, quite something quite different. Yeah, and it's really good for groups as well, like because it is because you hang around together and it's a big old laugh. And mm. we all had the the photos are amazing. So go and have a little look at the photos and the video is brilliant too. It's a Pete Reese special. Um, I haven't seen it yet. I need to get on there because people are really talking about good. it already at Love Trails. So yeah, it's uh, really good. But anyway, have you been up to anything exciting other I, than Love Trails? No, I mean I'm I'm still in this running slump that I don't seem to be able to escape. I'm, I haven't been running hard. Um, I've been running slow miles. But yeah, I just, I'm still knackered. I'm hoping, in fact, even today, so today we're recording on Tuesday and yesterday I did a four mile jog, which was just a recovery run. And it's not even as if I had anything to recover from. I did um, 12 miles on Sunday, 12 miles on Saturday, which which for me at the moment is probably a half to a third what I've been doing in weekends previously before Comrades. So, um, but even after a four mile jog yesterday, I feel tired. I feel like I honestly, oh. I honestly think it's a lot to do with the fact it's been so hot for so long as well. Like it saps it out of you. Like it really, really does. Because I've been feeling knackered as well, and I know it's half running, half being hot all the time, and not. Yeah. I reckon that even when you're not running, as someone that does run a lot, you need to drink a lot of water and take yeah. salt when it's this hot because you just can't be fucked to do anything, can you? But I think as well, getting older, it, I I don't know if I can smash it as much um booze wise at weekends and be training and be getting away with it i think it's starting to catch up with me sadly oh no you're I gonna know. have to leave the group you're gonna uh, have to leave the group. or just just choose not to run and, yeah uh, exactly yeah, yeah you can either do you can either do a rainsford or you can leave the group it's up to you <laughs> yeah absolutely so um we've got manby lakes this weekend coming i'm not 100 percent sure if we're going Oh, come on yeah. now. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's partly just because so much is on, partly because Claire's had a bit of a strained calf, partly because um, well, I've not run more than 12 miles in God knows how long, and I just don't know if I want to go there if I'm not going to race it. Um, well, I am going to be there, and so are a load of do-badders, so there's going to be lots of fuck you, buddy, on the on the outs and the backs and the ins and the outs and the jumps in and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's going to be fun. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I mean, it is an amazing race. Um but so that, I think there's still a, a good chance we'll go there, but we'll see. And also the correspondents are playing Sunday evening, afternoon, Brixton Jam. So that's another... You can come back for that. You can get on a train for that. Potentially, potentially. I've still got to work it out. But um, okay. But let's, let's crack on with our next guest who, to be honest, we should have had him on probably about two years ago because uh, in terms of the percentage of races Jody runs, he organises nearly all of them. And um, <laughs> in terms of ultra running, uh, he has the the best reputation events, the biggest events, um, potentially the most events ultra running in the UK. But I met James when um, he completely handed my ass to me on a plate. Um, when we did the country to capital, we ran 18, 20 miles together. He was very kind to um, to navigate us all to the canal. And then he uh, then he showed us what he can do by absolutely storming away. So, um, founder of Centurion Running, welcome to the show, James Elson. Thanks very much. And that race, by the way, I know that wasn't like an A race for you or anything, but it was. I was like, who who is this guy? You know, he's just coming out of nowhere. He's running really fast. And um, and then I found out at the end who you were. Obviously, you were chatting at the finish. I was suitably impressed. That was a very good, uh, considering your ultra experience at that point was so 
I, I think, think that was, was my maybe... first ultra. Yeah, in which case it was ridiculous. That explains <laughs> everything, Hellard. <laughs> but it was, yeah. it's quite a weird race because it's um it's so lovely to start with, <laughs> and then you think the canal sounds wonderful, but actually, especially because by then you're by yourself, it's really mentally tough, isn't it? <laughs> it's tough and it's so grim. In in January when you've got the those little runoffs on the side, they're they're flooded and there's like dead swans and stuff and then beer cans. And, and then wow. there's always groups of people, even though it's like 11, 12 in the morning, there's groups of people just drinking on the side of the canals you run through West London. <laughs> it's, it's pretty grim. But I don't know why we seem to find our way there every year. It's just become a bit of a fixture. And I really like the atmosphere. It's just a really good sort of don't know, start to the year, I suppose. I think, is it NRG races? It's a go beyond one. Go beyond, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course it is. I think they're just nice as well, aren't they? Nice. Um, oh, good people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I like those ones too. But um, let's let's take it back. Let's rewind to uh, what was it, 2010, 2011, the start of Centurion. Yeah, that's spot on. Yeah, yeah, we started in late 2010, and first event was middle of 2011. Yeah. Do you want to talk us through why, well, how it came about, why why you set it up? Yeah. Um, I got into running ultras doing the MDS actually in 2006 and then I ended up doing the four desert series with racing the planet I was young living in London and um, I just didn't have any responsibilities so I was spending all my <laughs> all my time and money on I just got in deep really fast absolutely loved it and then we were on a, a boat um, for the last desert which was in Antarctica with Dean Good old Dean Carnazes, who I know has been on, on the show. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Dean was just going on and on about bad water. I mean, he's he'd done it like 10 times at this point, And obviously, yeah. we'd all read his book and he was a total celebrity. Um, and, and obviously, when we got off the boat, we were all like, OK, you know, how are we going to qualify? And back then, the qualification was running two. You had to run, finish 200 mile races and then you could apply. Okay. Um, so I went to the US twice in 2009 to do hundreds i did rocky raccoon in february and then another race called old dominion in june and then i ran i did run bad water in 2010 but i, I was i was then like okay i really liked the, the us 100 scene i could fly over um the courses were marked they're really well supported i could mm. get back you know I, I could just do a race and on a relatively even footing with american runners so I decided to try and put one on and at the time i was talking to henk van der beek who used mm. the organized caesar's camp before he wound up it was a bit of a classic sort of um 10 10 mile loop race around caesar's camp and all the shot um and he's like yeah i've always looked at the north downs and thought that that deserved a good hundred so we went for it and we we it just just went from there um we had really good turnout really good feedback um and then I took the South Downs 100 over from a lady called Jen Jackson, who just didn't have the time for it anymore. And I, I made the Thames path up out of thin blue air. And then we needed one more for four race Grand Slam. So the winter <laughs> for 100 came. And that, and that was the start of it all, really, just because the UK didn't really have those types of races at the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, how, how many 100 milers were there in 2009, would you say, in the UK? There was Lakeland, which was unmarked and obviously still unmarked. There's the West Highland Way race, which is just under um, Caesars Camp. And then a couple of longer ones like uh, Grand Union and and the like. 
uh, 24-hour race. So none apart from Caesars that were marked. And obviously Caesars was 10, 10-mile loops. And it was Henk designed that on Barclay Marathon. Mm. So it was designed to be horrible. Mm. And it was pretty horrible. Um, so, yeah, just and now, obviously, it's it's uh, I mean, I don't even know how many there are. It's um, it's almost there's too many to count. Um, so, James, yeah. James, at the beginning, how many people were you getting um, like interested in 100 milers? Like, was it was it like you put them on sale and went mad or was it a real slow thing? Well, I decided to begin with that I would put on three different um, distances, a marathon, a 50 and then a 100. And to, to have the the hundreds, the only time you've ever done it was an out and back to what is now the 50 mile finish and um, the 50 mile point and then come back to the start in Farnham. And I had a hundred places available for each. And Henk said to me, you'll sell 30 places. And I was like, well, if we sell 30 places, mm-hmm. we're going to lose a lot of money. Um, and in the end, we sold the marathon and the 50 and about 60 odd people did the hundred, um, which was an amazing turnout, really, considering. Yeah. Um, but it just showed me that there was we didn't do any marketing or anything. It was just, you know, work, whack up a website and I don't know, talk to people. Um, but it showed me that there was, you know, a desire for that kind of racing anyway. So there was a bloody good start, really. Um, um, and had you done, had yeah. you come from an events marketing or events no. management background? No, I, I'm absolutely not, none at all. Um, I was still working in London at the time for a company called Clear Channel who sold like billboard advertising mm. space. So I had no. I work with Clear Channel sometimes uh, amazing yeah they i had a great yeah. time there but i got to like my late 20s it's one of those companies where you're either gonna manage the company at like 35 40 mm. and be in charge or you're gonna be sacked um and i was like <laughs> fuck both those things basically so i was looking for an alternative i didn't think obviously i didn't think at the time i was going to make any money out of organized events um but i saw it as a pathway of one of a number of things at least i did initially in the first two three years i was working for my old man and doing some other bits and pieces to make it all come together um so yeah no but i i'm seriously obsessive about detail and i Mm. think that's probably the most important thing with organizing events um i know you've probably done some of it yourself but like if you're lying i always think to myself why am i lying in bed awake at 3 a.m thinking about the fucking position of the portaloos at the start line mm. and then and then i realized that actually that's that's why the events normally you know not too bad because i do obsess over the little things um well so, yeah. i think i think especially in 100 milers i mean you can get things slightly wrong in a 5k and what does it matter but <laughs> 100 miler not only is it costing someone's their race but it could be costing someone their life so yeah yeah and the thing i always try to bear in mind is that they've all committed uh, such a huge okay with the obsession, exception of a few that you know wing it and run like 2500s a year or whatever of which there are a few people mm. normally someone has invested so much time energy like family you know loss of family time mm. you know it's not necessarily about the entry fee which is a lot of money but it's not like life-changing but yeah. it's it's the 9 12 18 24 months of their life that they've chucked into it and then that's the pressure from that as an organizer is tremendous because mm. you're like fuck me these people have really, really worked for this and you've got to deliver um and yes yeah, so. do you think at that first your first race were were the people who 
entered the 100-miler experienced ultramarathon runners? Or, or were there quite a few who did just think, oh, this look, this is new, let's try this, and, and took it on? Um, no fresh. one thinks this is new, let's try this, about 100 miles, surely. <laughs> surely. Right, there are people nowadays, I mean, no, back then, back in the first race, we had, we had the, like what I would call the sort of cream of UK ultra running, people like Robbie Britton and Neil Bryant and mm. Alan Rumbles and Mark Connors, you know, people who were really sort of prominent on the scene already, mm. and then I, I knew a lot of the people that showed up and the ones that were new to it had all done, you know, quite long distances before, not least of which they had to run 50 to qualify. Nowadays, I mean, we see that, yeah, you still got to run a 50 miler for a qualifier, but a lot of people are coming in, having run a bunch of marathons, one flat 50 and then taking on a hundred. Um, and it, yeah, it, <laughs> it's, do you it's think that's not course. enough? I mean, I, I could say that, and then you'll see someone like, you know, Charlie Harper running 15 hours flat on the South Downs 100 off the back of relatively little ultra experience. So it is mm. enough um, for some people, but it's not enough for most, I suppose. Mm. Um, and we do say it's a minimum requirement, but of course, uh, it, it's a great sport, right? Because you get every shape, size, colour, creed um, and ability. And, and everybody's in it together, and it definitely feels that way. So it's um, more I mean, cliches. So. I mean, it's, <laughs> it sounds from from your first race, though, that if that had gone badly, everyone who could have made or break your race would have broken it. Yeah, absolutely. And and some races, I think, nowadays are coming and going in like fl- blink of an eye because, I mean, there have been a couple of examples recently um people just you know winging it not really thinking about the full um package of what it involves and then yeah a few prominent people on social media and your event is is done i mean people are ruthless as well they're like you know some of the comments that have been made i just i mean i get so uptight about we get so many positive comments but then we always get negative ones because uh, that's how it works that's how the mm. world works. Fucking hell. I take those negative ones so personally. <laughs> um, and I think yeah. what amazes yeah. me is people like Dick Kern, who've been you know, running Grand Union for 25, 30 years, just for the love of it. And I think to myself, my God, you know, that is impressive. Because somewhere along the line, I think someone would have pushed the wrong button too many times and I would have just gone, nah, I've had enough. Or, or yeah, somebody would have ended well, it. Well, do you know what? Actually, I think... We- me and Hellard were talking about this at the weekend, and there are so many people that want to, that do complain about stuff, and they're so much louder than the people that are like, actually, that was the thing I've ever done in my life. So or, you know, true. This was great. That was great. And um, I think, you know, we, was, we were talking about, in fact, I'd actually quite like to know, what is the funniest complaint that you've ever had from anybody that they've pursued? I'd like right, to know so that. The, 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 the second North Downs 100, this guy crossed the line, and he, he said... Um, you sh- you should be ashamed. You should be disgusted. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> what has happened to this dude? He's been like something. You know, he's been hit by a car, or you know, I don't know what we've done. Anyway, his complaint. He then showed me his fucking Garmin, and he's like, this course is two point two miles long. And I was like, and ever oh since god. that day, I've just been like, I say to people in the briefings, and God knows you and Jody, Ali, you and Jody have probably had stuff for me saying. 
don't show me your Garmin at the finish line. <laughs> I don't. If you want to run exactly 100 miles, you're in the wrong place. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. complaining about it's more, it. It's more for your money, as far as I'm concerned. Don't complain. More for your yeah. money. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, we've had some seriously quite comic, but also just like depressing shit over the years, which is inevitable. I mean, we've put on about 50 races now. Um, but also when people are finishing, they're not in their right mind a lot of the time. So, oh, and, yeah, and I they, know. But they just think if someone's been, I mean, that guy obviously had that bee in his bonnet for so <laughs> long, right? I mean, to have to finish your first hundred mile race and that be the sort of immediate sort of comment, I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> my God. Um, but, but anyway, yeah. And did, I mean, with the first one then, were there any issues that um, you suddenly thought, oh, Christ, I hadn't thought about that? Or were there any things that surprised you? Yeah, I mean, in the early days, it was insane. I mean, it was, I mean, I don't want to say we got away with it because mm. I planned as much as I felt I could plan. But the things you, you don't plan for are the things that, you, but I was doing the start, the registration, then driving the setup van, setting up every single checkpoint, meeting every volunteer, um, setting up the finish, and then seeing every finisher over the line. And then I just have one guy sweeping at the back. Mm. Uh, and I look at that now, and we have a team of 15 or 20 staff looking after not that many more runners than we had then. And I just think, oh, my God, you know, I mean, <laughs> it was just beyond exhausting. Um, but as you know, the volunteers were the ones that were there at the start that that made it happen, and that's exactly the same now. Like you can, as an organizer, take credit for so much, but ultimately, it's the people at the checkpoints that the runners interact with the most. Mm. That that's the event. It's right there. It's yeah. the community and the interaction between those two groups. Not yeah, you've got to put the infrastructure in and give everyone the information to have a safe and enjoyable day, but it. it Again, it, it, cliche, but without the volunteers, there's literally nothing. Um, I guess the first year there, you, yeah. we were scratching around big time. I was calling yeah. in friends and family all over the place, and they were, you know, they were doing stupid shifts, uh, doing like three checkpoints each, and they're all up for silly amounts of time. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we definitely, we definitely burnt some good people out early on by, by getting <laughs> them involved. But also until, you know, now you're there's vol- volunteering is a thing. There's probably a Facebook group of 100 mile volunteers yeah. and they're all trained through their experience of volunteering for 100 mile races. And so you could bring someone in who you've never met before, who you know, actually is, is going to know how to manage someone yeah. whose feet are falling off or who's refusing totally. to eat. And whereas that first year, especially if it's friends yeah. and family, um, <laughs> Yeah, they're looking at people going, you know what it was? It's when my sister was working a checkpoint for us at Rygate Hill, and this guy came in, he put his hand in the Vaseline, uh, and then, you know, wiped all over his nuts. And then he put his hand in the mixed nuts and raisins bowl, <laughs> and she never, ever had no, to forget no. that. She was like, I, I literally did not know what to say to this guy. But he <laughs> thought that was acceptable behaviour. She never came back again. I think that was enough of her. No, but you, yeah, you, need, you need to start on stations that say don't double dip. Don't double dip, totally. never double dip on anything. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, nowadays, about um, 70, 80% of the people volunteering have either volunteered or run before. It's unusual mm. to have people who've need, done neither. Um, yeah. And that's at, that's at our events, let alone any others. Um, and that's totally, 
totally evident nowadays if you come in with like all the checkpoint gear and sometimes the checkpoint setup people come in get the trolley cages off the back of the truck and the volunteers just set the whole thing up and they're just standing stand around watching them because the volunteers know how they want the checkpoint to work yeah. so they know how it operates yeah. the difference that makes is just massive you know um, yeah, we, we um We've got a lot of do-badders who actually volunteer for you. We've got Dan Barrett, we've got um, Lou. And, you know, Dan does it because he wants to run 100 and he wants yeah. to see how people feel and he wants to understand the mental stuff that they go through. And, and you know, as a community, as we are on Facebook, it's so nice when you run past an aid station at 70-odd miles and there's someone, you know, shouting, fuck you, buddy. And, uh, totally, uh, totally. Yeah, we always know who the do-badders are. I know that a lot of them are. do it because they eventually want to do oh, Of course you do. But, but they do it as a learning thing, you know. They want to see the state people get into. They want to see the mistakes they make, and they want to see the stuff they do right. And I think that that's a really, really good way to kind of add to your training. Yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. I mean, just looking at what people are using and, you know, wearing and and thinking, oh, my God, you know, I don't want to be seen in those shorts because you can see everything, but they must be comfortable <laughs> to run 100 in. Uh, but, yeah, you know, your community, like, it just sort of sits on top of ours really nicely because – yeah, people are just you know really good to each other um yeah. and that is vastly you know the vast majority of people there's only really one or two people that runners that sort of take the piss a bit and treat volunteers like um you know they're, they're waiting on them hand and foot yeah. most people I, um, do that. I actually had a, I had a very funny incident at the South Downs 100 about 75 76 miles where there were a lot of people being sick. It was the like middle of the night and I'm, I was picking up with Stuart Evans and I had eaten my pepper pig pasta and then I went to clean my teeth uh, in the middle of like this farmyard in the dark. So I was cleaning my teeth, spitting stuff out, cleaning my teeth. One of the volunteers comes over. It's like, oh my God, are you all right? Because he thought I was being sick, basically. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm just cleaning my teeth. <laughs> and he's like, why are you doing that? I've never seen anyone do that before. But I'm like, it just makes you feel fresh for like the next bit. But they were, but they're so attentive and so lovely. Like he had a bucket and he had yeah. like, you know, stuff for me to wipe my face. And he had water. And I was like, you know, I just went somewhere to be private to clean my <laughs> teeth. But he followed me over, made sure I was okay. And you're totally right. Like, you know, it's it's the volunteer guys that make, make the whole thing work. Yeah, it is. Um, also at that farm, though, someone had taken the crap behind one of the barns. So <laughs> they were probably on, on red alert to make sure that didn't happen again. And um, Bailey, Bailey has that look in her eye often. So. Exactly, yeah. I know, I do. Yeah, I always bring food bags with me, though, just in case. The, the stuff the volunteers do is like, I mean, it's beyond. They're so knackered and they've been doing it for so long. But they, they, they do tend to, on the whole, treat first to last the same way. And, mm. you know, it is, it is just a, such an uplifting experience, however hard it is. Um, for everybody is everyone comes away having it feels like you're in a little bubble for the weekend I think that's probably true of most events but especially in a hundred where everyone's going through the night and have you had any volunteers who are, are just too nice and so the people come in and they're like oh yeah you have a sit down no I mean you've done well to be fair I mean yeah go on just just have a nap and have, have almost <laughs> planted the seeds of doubt too much and just made them too comfortable yeah and then put that person in the boot of their car and taken <laughs> that person home <laughs> there is a lot of there is a lot of burying runners around um and jody alluded to this i know in the past but the, the, there's often nothing wrong with them and i, I know this firsthand 
from my own running. I've quit races. There's, there's nothing wrong with me. I just either have lost the plot or lost the will. Mm. Uh, and I would say a very small number of people quit for what I would call race ending reasons where it's like, uh, you know, my legs falling off or I just can't physically carry on. It's not safe. Most people it's, it's a combination of issues. Plus they've just gone in the head. So some volunteers who are experienced know when to talk people around. But mm. I think it's interesting because the more experienced ones also know when not to push people. I've, I've had good friends of mine at mile 75 of the autumn, 125 miles from finishing the grand slam quit and spent some time trying to talk them out of it. But ultimately, you, you can just see it in their eyes. Um, mm. it, some people have just checked out and they just don't care anymore. And you could say to them, you're going to care so much tomorrow. But it, that right there in that moment, they're just done. Um, yeah. It's hard. It's a hard sport, you know. And have you had, um, yeah. I mean, through the years, what, what would you say has changed from that first Centurion race to, to a race now in terms of um, what you put on, the food, the runner? Um, the the times the, the whole scene really just just, just the times first of all um, what people know now is possible and what people see as not normal but you know certainly more normal than it used to be has yeah. changed dramatically I mean you used to think of like breaking 20 hours in a hundred as a you know at the sharp end of the field is like a huge deal mm. um and then you get Mark Perkins running 14.03 on the South Downs Way. God. And you just think... Monster. He's a monster. I mean, I don't want to say that's the reason we do it, because the reason mm. we do it is, so, is is manifold. But that certainly is a huge part. To see someone do that is just... You know, no, nobody else can do it. Um, yeah. You know, even internationally, there would be a handful of people capable of doing something like that. And you you never forget it, because... Um, it's truly special that hopefully extends everyone's expectations up a bit. Mm. So the idea of sub 24, like 10 years ago was this rarefied thing. And it's, a, it, it's still a huge accomplishment, but people now see other runners who are, you know, running X marathon time, achieving sub 24. And they think, hang on a minute, that person can do that. So I must be able to, you know, at least give it a good shot. And the belief then is there. Um, and that extends to any any goal, you know, to people who are just trying to finish um, mm-hmm. and see what's possible. I think um, the other thing we've had is people walking the entire of our events and finishing comfortably within the cutoffs, which does, I think, says a lot. Mm. Um, because as long as you're focused and you don't waste any time in checkpoints, and you just keep moving. The chances are you'll probably finish. Um, in terms of the scene, fuck it. I mean, it's so big now. It's really... I think people used to do races for the for the PR, for, almost for like they'd whack it on Facebook and everyone would be like, oh, my God. And they it would feel like they'd done something incredible mm. uh, that they didn't know anybody else who'd done anything like it. But like a couple of weekends ago, you've got two people setting Nolan's 14 records. You've got the Mont Blanc 80K. You've got Western States. You've got Killian doing his bob. You know, all the, all, all in the space of like seven, ten days. It's like. I can't even keep up with what's happening week to week. So mm. I hope mm-hmm. the good part of that is people are now starting to concentrate on what they enjoy more rather than doing stuff just to say they've done it to get the kudos, if that makes sense. Because yeah. I think a lot of people have entered hundreds and kept running hundreds because 
they feel that's the only way they can stay relevant if it as it were like they've done that they've got to keep topping it Mm. but rather than do that it'd be so much healthier if they just picked stuff they actually enjoyed and finishing hundreds for the sake of it is pretty miserable um and it it, i think hopefully that will have a, a positive effect in years to come um but definitely that feels like the most present thing for me at the moment um but, but I, yeah. I think there definitely is a, a little bit of, you know, if you can't win a race, double the distance and then try that. Yeah. And, and yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I, I can't see it going too much further than 100, but um, th- that certainly is true. I mean, for me, I, I could never win uh, a half marathon. Uh, well, I could win some, but the the number of ultras I could do well in compared to halves is is, uh, is very different. So, yeah. And, and, yeah. And that is, I mean, actually, that. I th- that is appealing not necessarily just because the result it changes completely how you race yeah it does because if you're yeah, actually and... pushing yourself if you need that to be able to push yourself fully then your experience is completely different it, it is yeah. and it, to be able to race in an ultra is a rare and a really enjoyable thing you definitely the best performances that that have ever come are, have been off the back of competition mm. um people pushing each other because if you're on your own, and for a lot of our races, for the front runners, they're on their own a lot. Mm. Um, well, a lot of people are on their own for a lot of it because they're pretty spread mm. out. Um, it's a very different sport to either having company or, or racing, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I think some people see ultras as an easy way to, quote, unquote, get some fame. Mm. And it, that just does it's not a thing. There are There are people who, you know, they get a result and then with respect you know they may be racing a fairly weak uk field hmm. and then they sort of they try and get sponsors or they do get a sponsor and it's a bit of kit and they go to an international race and they finish like a hundredth mm-hmm. and it's like that did that that's normal that's all good but now you put yourself in a really good place concentrate on what you enjoy don't keep flogging that dead horse where you're going to try and you know um do stuff that that you don't enjoy and that you're not good at just because it feels that's the way you should go I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. I had this conversation at the weekend with some people who were like, you know, what's first you ever run? And I was like, 100 miles. And they're like, what? Why would you do that? It's horrible. Like, it's yeah. suffer fest. And I'm like, but it's not because the thing is, I always have a pacer at 50 who I'm looking forward to seeing and chatting yeah. with and running with and laughing with and doing whatever. And I always have maybe someone else come in at like 18. I'm talking about you, Lee. And then that's another person to have a chat with and share the experience with and Lee's doing his whole look at the sun and the moon and I'm like that's nice and it's an experience that I won't have again it's the middle of the night on the South Downs where whatever and it's yeah. wonderful and I take those memories I take those photos and I think I'm so lucky to be able to be out here and witness a moon and a sun and the sea and that's what I really get from it and you know of course I've always got my A, B, C plan I'm never going to win but it's it's about me and it's about what I know that I can achieve and taking that that mental uh, strength that you have to have to do it and then putting it into everyday life so being if you're in a situation at work where you're stressed if you're doing something that's upsetting you with your family or whatever someone's ill you know you have the mental strength to run 100 miles so you have the mental strength to deal with most things you need know, calm yeah. yourself down take a minute to stop and i think that's one of the most important things about endurance races of course you're going to get winners you get great athletes but the reason that I do it, probably a lot of people do it, not everybody, is because I want to do it for me. Do you know what I mean? It's like a physical exertion of like, or physical example, tangible example of how, of me telling myself how strong I can be. And that yeah. makes me confident. 
So I don't know why the people do it, but winning is it's not on my agenda, put it that way. <laughs> I think if you could encapsulate that and plant that seed in everybody's head, I think you're right, most people have it, but that really summarises what it's all about for sure. I think some people do come with the wrong attitude and you can kind of see it from the start and their day often doesn't work out very well. And I think then if they come back, that they change um they definitely changed their attitude i'll tell you one thing we do see is a tremendous dnf rate amongst second time 100 mile runners usually uh, really? yeah right really? rather than people sort of learning and then improving they they tend to rush their second hundred and they think oh, i know how to do that now and i'm looking for that buzz again but i'm not going to train as hard because i know what i'm doing now and then they under they under um, cook it and they they come up short and it gets to that point. Um, I know Jody mentioned before it's like mile thirty to forty is, is very very good example. It, it happens mm-hmm. again at sort of fifty to sixty where you're just like, oh my god, this fucking hurts so bad <laughs> and I'm so far from the finish and it's. And I just get I'm really bored. I'm just like so bored. Yeah, it's I, know, to I know, to. I know, I know. And you just have to wait like sometimes it's two minutes sometimes it's five hours but that goes and then you feel like you're gonna win the world again at some point mm-hmm. um but that but if it's your second hundred then a lot of them then say what am i doing i've done this before i've got this buckle i can't be bothered with this i'll jack it um so i'm always more careful with the second time hundred miles because the first time ones really have they've got this unbelievable desire mm. to follow through on their training um so yeah. Well, the thing on any hundred mile, you've got to have something to prove. And mm. as you say, if you, for the second one, you've just removed a huge part of what you're out there to do. Because uh, you know, does does anyone really care that you've got your second one? It's, it's so much more personal. <laughs> I always say that to people as well. It's not nobody else gives a shit apart from you. I yeah. know you're going to go home and tell your family and friends. And yet, yeah, some of them will be genuinely amazed. But the one thing they actually care about is that you had a good time and that you're happy and healthy. Like that, mm. that's it. Mm-hmm. Nobody else gives a shit. And it's such a sort of selfish sport from that regard. There's so much positive, like so much interaction with the community, so much money raised for charity, but people do start to believe in something that doesn't exist and that's hype that from other people that you know everybody else cares about what they do when really it's it's all about that person themselves it's a very individual thing mm-hmm. um yeah, so, I, yeah the right but, you know i find with centurion but the right you know with centurion it's a bit like the first one i did i was i was very focused on my or me and getting around and i was scared and all that sort of stuff but, you know, the second time around, I had a friend who was doing it for the first time and I met her friends who I'd never met before. And I kept running past them and they kept running past me and this, that and the other. I made friends with one of them and she was so lovely, Melanie. And uh, we ran together for like 20 miles. And I would never have met that girl unless it was for that run. And she made me laugh so much. And um, I had a really great time. But it's also, you know, helping those people. When you're a second time, helping those first timers around by saying, listen, I did this wrong. I did that wrong. I went too fast on this. I went too fast on that. And, and helping those people through. And I think, you know, when, if you're not going out to race, if you're not going out to win and you have the opportunity to talk to people and you're a bit more mid-pack, then that's a really nice thing to do for yourself as well. Because, you know, we live in a world where we don't tend to help people. And, and I just think it's really lovely to have that community where, where you are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's great to hear. Definitely. And I think that's the biggest legacy from all this stuff is, yeah, friendships and community. That have been, and I didn't think that. I certainly didn't think that at the start. I wasn't like, oh, this is going to be a brilliant community. I didn't mm. set it up as a community. I set it up to 
let people, you know, run supported um, ultras um, mm. for their own achievement, basically. But my God, it's been so much more. And I don't, whatever happens in the future, I don't see that community just disappearing. I think it exists and people, you know, even if it might not have the name or the label, you know, it, those people, those friendships, those, they're still, they're still out there, which is pretty great, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's been a good ride so far. And do you, cause you've, you came to four races fairly quickly and have, you know, stayed at that. Is that a conscious decision? Yeah. So we, we started, I mean, we could have more runners. We could have more races for sure. I mean, the demand seems to be there. Um, but, but, and we've always wanted people to feel like they were a person, not a number. And I think there is a point at which that gets lost. Mm. So if you come into a checkpoint and people, the volunteers just don't, you can't help you because mm. there's too many people there or you're just shepherded around from pillar to post. There's so many races out there that are incredible races where you can go and be that person. Uh, and some people like that anonymity, but that is not what it's about. And also, just from my own stress levels, I, I can't describe to you, especially in the week before a race, just how stressed I am. Mm. Um, like I'm shitting my pants about every single person from the minute the gun goes till we get them home. Only in the last couple of hours when people have left the last checkpoint and they're sort of, you know, they're within a few miles of the finish. So I finally start feeling like I can relax. And it's this, the, the wave of relief and the incredible feeling like the week after is just almost palpable. Uh, it's not so great in the fifties because it feels much more manageable, but in the hundreds, you know, it, we're at the finish and there's people spread out over 50 miles of countryside mm. and there's road crossings and there's, you know, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. Um, you've just got to be on it the whole time and it's really hard, really hard work. So, and I also, you know, staying up one or two nights in a row, four weekends a year, and then another few times for my own races, there, there genuinely comes a point where I feel like I'm digging a hole that I can't get out of. Mm. Now I could, I could, I could get someone in to sort of, we have, to, so we have a staff team that obviously helps organize the events, but I could get someone else in and say, right, you're in charge. You, you do all this you know, general coordination of the, you know, the bigger stuff. Uh, but I, I just, I, I can't, I just can't give away that control. And, and I always <laughs> wanted it to be relatively small. Uh, you know, so it's just a lifestyle thing. Um, yeah. so it's just me. And then obviously, you know, Nikki and, and Drew and Chris and, you know, the core staff team helping to make everything happen. But, um, it, it, it's, it's big enough. It really is. And there's people out there like, um, I forget the name of the company that run Race to the Stones and Race yeah. to the King. Um, Carphones, yeah. Dixon's Warehouse, Carphones, Curry's Warehouse. <laughs> yeah, those, those guys. They're massive. <laughs> okay. And and one of my um one of my good friends, Chris, did the Action Challenge at um Cotswold 100K the other day, and he was yeah. like, "Mate, there's a thousand people here." And I'm like, "What yeah. the fuck?" I was uh, on the Action Challenge, and there were so many people there like so many i don't know where they get yeah. them from yeah i just i mean i, I don't know i, I don't really i don't know if this is wrong probably a bit controversial i don't really consider that part of the ultra scene i, I consider it a sort of different subsection of running ultras almost because yeah. they don't feel that integrated with the rest of us like for, for the rest mm. of the race directs in the uk it's like we talk to each other you know there's like a maiden group there's 
you know, plenty of conversation going on. Action Challenge, get in touch or more likely vice versa when I find loads of their signs up on the course. And and then we sort of, it feels like I'm dealing with a business, um, mm. which is fine. That's yeah. fine. And they do a lot of good work and there's a lot of charitable money made in those events. So I'm definitely not belittling what they do. And it's it's a path in for and many have, people as well. But, of walkers those, those yes they do. those companies have a lot of walkers like hell on if you want to win an ultra go and do one of them because i came <laughs> second in one once because there's a lot of people that walk that's great and yeah, yeah. i came second in the thames one i was like awesome so there's no medals though there's no medals so um yeah. you know it, but they are very much like it's a challenge it's a walk it's a, a corporate groups to be like we're going to walk 62 miles or whatever it is and, and i think it's a totally different ball game it's yeah. a bit like doing long distance walking association yeah walks but running them is training do you know what i mean like it's yep. it's not a grand slam big deal it's not you know how hard south downs way is you know how hard auto 100 is you know how hard north uh, north downs is because you know the elevation and you know it's yeah. difficult but the other thing is the cutoffs, is, right yeah. you know we yeah. i've had this really i'm not going to name any names um and somebody could go away and work this out fairly easily but we we've had one person dnf the last 28 events that we organize right Wow. Now, now. Um, the, so what person, did you say? 28 events. 28 DNFs consecutively. This isn't like over the years. This is 20. There are large races. They should be races. Do-bader. They're amazing. That is amazing. And what this person has finished our races before that, and I have no doubt will finish again. Right. The temptation to, to stick 15 minutes, half an hour on the cutoff to, to, to make it achievable mm. for that person is immense. We, you know, we shrunk our cutoffs from 13 and a half to 13 hours. But the, the point is, this person is trying relentlessly because that is the mark and they are going to make that mark. And the minute you start conceding and making the cutoffs longer, 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 you're taking an element of the challenge away. And if you do want to run 50 miles or 100 miles and you just want to run the distance or cover distance, there are a myriad of other options. The LDWA is a prime example. Action Challenge probably have much greater cutoffs, I would think, than the ones we put on. But I'll yeah, definitely like running events. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we it's it's running 100 miles. But, you know, everybody walks. So I'm apart from Mark Perkins, maybe. Um, everybody's hiking some of it, but that them, that, you know, the majority of running has to, um, has to be there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just such a massive sport now. I mean, I know it's not, I know it's still tiny, but relative to what it was, um, just, yeah. And do, do you think there are issues having hundred mile races that have such different offerings in how they support you? And what can be expected at age stations? Does that do you think that could lead to um, dangerous situations, really, where people come into it thinking they know what they're getting? Yes, I do. Um, and it's been flagged before. Interestingly, um, one of the first finishers of our Grand Slam, he came up to me the second time he finished one of our races, and he said, "Look, there's your events, there's the shower of shit races, and I love both of them." Hmm. And I was like. Okay, that's an interesting point because actually, I'm I'm just as happy, you know, with respect to country's capital and, and go beyond. When you and I ran country's capital, I don't know about you, but I think I took one bottle of water the entire time we were out there. I'm not fussed about getting a medal or a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah And people would go, well, "What, what are you doing it for?" Well, I do it because I enjoyed the whole experience, interaction with the 
uh, the runners, the volunteers and, and the race. Mm. I'm not looking for anything else. And that's fine. But the, that is definitely not everybody. Yeah. So it's the person who does one of our 50s and then shows up to the one that looks the same. And they expect course markings. They expect, you know, loads of food, regular checkpoints. And they're not. And that's not the fault of the organizer, perhaps. Mm. Maybe mm. it's not clear from the website, but it has led to problems. Um, and I'm not saying ours are the best organized, but in terms of support over 100 miles, there's not going to be, you know, any races that do much more than we do. Um, so if they do our races first and yeah. then try something else, they tend to get less. Um, and for some people, that can be an issue. Self-sufficiency. Our races, I think, dupe some people into thinking self-sufficiency isn't really part of it. Yeah. You know, whatever happens where I get calls all the time saying I'm stopping and I'm just like, OK, are you at a checkpoint? Are you at a crew point? You know, do you have a lift? No, no, I'm on the trail. And I'm like, you need to get to a checkpoint. And they're like, <laughs> like I, and they, they've checked out. Right. They're like, yeah. I'm done. And I'm just like, buddy, you might be done. But the only way we're going to get to you is either by, you know, waking a load of farmers up and getting our four by four up there, which is not going to happen, or getting a helicopter in. So you need to get back on your feet and keep going and drop out at a point that's suitable. Mm. Of course, we have people collapse in places where they are hard to reach and and it's, you know, it's a pain in the ass, but we get to them. Um, but it's this self-sufficiency thing that is the danger. Mm. And that's particularly people go up into the mountains. You know, I see people... Again, uh, this is going to call some people out, but they do three of our races. They get the points for UTMB and they go and do UTMB. Mm. And it's just like, I see, you know, I see the way they're approaching it and I think, oh my God, you know, if it's a bad weather year at UTMB, these people just have no mountain experience. This is going to yeah. end really badly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that part of being an ultra runner is being able to support yourself and, and knowing that, yeah. you know, obviously I'm a huge fan of cheese sandwiches and pepper pig pasta and I know that. <laughs> And so I always have those things on me and as well as the delicious, nutritious snacks at the race stations. But it's, you know, I think it's important for people to go and do training runs, maybe like even LW, um, LDWA walks, you know, just so they know that there is nothing out there for them. And in the middle yeah. of the night, there is no petrol station open and there's no one that's going to give them a bag of crisps. And just to understand that, I think it's. It's self-preservation, basically, isn't it? And it's yeah, um, it you can't yeah. just expect people to hand you freaking jelly babies on a plate. It's not under marathon. No. Um, but yeah, and I think it's a, an individual thing. But the problem is, if you have only done centurion, you're like, oh my god, it's a children's picnic every 25 miles. Um, that could that could maybe be an issue. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's all common sense, is it not? <laughs> I think so. I do think so, and I try to give people as much information as possible without them feeling like we're patronising them. But the number of people that come up to us at Kit Check and say, uh, what, why am I having to buy a second head torch? You know, I, I saw it on the Mantry Kit, but I only ever use one. It's like, this isn't our first time. You, you've just, you know, you just, you just shown it's us in one group that yeah. you're not really, you're not really equipped to be out there in terms of the preparation for this race because, um, they haven't thought through or been in a situation where something's failed or they needed a backup or they just need to look after themselves. Um, mm. And it gets really serious really quick in the mountains. Uh, and yeah, we've had some really rough years, some rough races over, over, you know, particularly early on, on the Thames, um, in bad weather. But yeah, relative to how bad it can be at some events. Um, oh my God. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
Yeah, it's amazing there aren't more issues, to be honest. But I don't know how much as well of that is. I mean, we don't really share a lot of issues, um, except mm. with like other race directors where we've had someone like get a taxi from one checkpoint to the next, stuff like that. Um, yeah. Those people get shared. But, you know, people who've just not really looked after themselves, you, they go away and perhaps they try again and perhaps they learn, but perhaps they don't. But. It's the general public, right? Most people are going to be okay, but some people aren't. Um, but do, do, you think, do you think as the sport is growing, and as you say, there are, it's, it's, it's just a lot more accessible, but also it's becoming a lot more normalised. You know, 100 miler used to be, mm. as you said, insane, whereas now it's, I know people who've done that. Is that, do you think, creating more of an atmosphere that people feel they can just rock up? Yeah, I think so. I think the vast majority of people still respect it and they're scared of it and the fear is, is a sign of respect. That's good. Hmm. Uh, I think there are some people who've got blasé um, or they do see someone who they think is athletically inferior finishing yeah. and they're like, oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I've done the we get we hear a lot. Oh, I've done this marathon and this, you know, coastal trail series event. So and that doesn't qualify me for the hundred. And I'm just like it's a process the thing is what's amazing is you talk to the same person two years down the line and they go shit i re I, you know i was the same i look back on how mm. i was in the early days and think my god how the hell did i get away with it um yeah and I, did it correlate to faster runners being more presumptuous or not really a little bit a little bit i think i think um faster runners do the maths right so yeah. they're like 15 hour 100 that's nine minute miling and i can i can run a 250 marathon with my eyes closed so i mean mm. that's great it just doesn't work that way it's a it is a it's a different sport it it's just you, there's just no part of those two things that are, are closely related enough to be i mean interestingly actually robbie britain has done some good research recently linking people's marathon times to their 24 hour distances mm. and working out who's before you know, but there is so there is a like a linear thing you can mm. but that refers to people who've done lots and lots of both types of races and reached yeah. the peak in in both those things yeah. and that takes that takes a decade not yeah. you know six yeah. months yeah um i am um, at autumn 100 last year my friends decided to turn up without telling me and to support me so they were like right. right we'll turn up at 50 miles and they worked out what time i'd be at 50 miles from my marathon average so they were like yeah for four hours average road marathon she'll be there in eight hours so they got down to goring village hall eight hours in and i was nowhere to be seen for two hours and they got absolutely shitted and then we we're like way and i was like what how long have you been here They're like two and a half hours why are you so slow and i'm like okay i'm going to start to explain yeah thanks so much but it's it's just funny because you know the way I, I was doing a plan a b plan and a c plan and five five six seven is ideal but it might be five six six seven or it might be five six seven eight um yeah. but you know it's just not you know get, doing multi-days has always really helped me and doing the uh, back-to-backs and time on my feet and knowing how tired i'll be and also knowing how much i want to dick about and knowing how many sandwiches i want to eat yeah. and um and I just think, you know, if sometimes people do go into this thing and think, well, I've got a four hour marathon time, which means it's flat on Thames Pass. So that's four, eight. OK, basically, I could do it in 16 hours. And hello, she might remember that before I did that also 100, I said I want to do it in under 17 hours. And it's like, <laughs> mate, 
that was never ever gonna happen but it's like you only learn I think from doing it and for going out there maybe like volunteering yeah. seeing people listening to podcasts and being like okay do you know what I need to the expectation needs to go down because it's not gonna happen like that isn't that the allure of the sport though that it doesn't matter how many times you do it you'll still find a way to, to fuck it up I mean <laughs> I ran um I ran a um Rocky Raccoon in February this year for the sixth time and um I mean, I completely, I completely messed the race up. And I ended up uh, off the course for five hours in the middle of the race, just yeah, taking some time to collect myself and then going out and walking the last 25 miles. Whoa. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I've flown out to America to do this race. I wasn't just doing it on a wing and a prayer. And I just think this is like the sixth time I've done that race. I've done probably 20 odd hundreds, a bunch of 24 hours, and I can still mess it up that badly. Mm. Um, yeah. and that is that is the allure of the sport, right? I mean, it's so difficult. That was Rocky um, Three. That's what, you you in Rocky Three, right? That was there. Rocky Three. <laughs> yeah, and there'll be Rocky Four, and I That'd think be, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know how long it will continue for, but I definitely still feel. I don't know with running. I don't know. Once you find it, I think, especially ultra running, there's a community and a level of experience that mm. you just can't get anywhere else. And it's all so simple, right? At the end of the day, yeah, I know you've got a bunch of kit on your back and the nutrition and the hydration is a bit of a pain in the ass but it is really just you and a trail at the end of the day and if you can just always distill it back to that it's just such a brilliant sport so when are you going to do your um, first hundred dave come on i mean i've i've got the i've got too much fear but don't be ridiculous well good but then you look at you look at what you've what you've done already, both on the marathon scene and obviously, you know, forays into ultra running. And there's a mm. there's some exciting prospect there. Yeah. Well, I just because even with comrades, I mean, comrades is an amazing race, and uh, I'd recommend you do it, James. If you haven't, but I, I find what I love about running is is that feeling of when you're absolutely hammering it and you're mm. right on the edge, and you're you know you <laughs> you're just pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, and with comrades, ne- that never happened. I started off at a you know reasonably slow pace, and then just tried to to hang on to that pace as it got a bit more achy. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. But you did say that you found it relatively easy. You did say in that podcast, like, yeah. that's pretty easy. So I'm like, there's more in the tank there, man. You need to go out there and find what's the long, point. What's the longest you've run where you felt like, yeah, I'm hanging on for absolute grim death, and I'm actually running hard here? probably actually it depends on hills doesn't it but probably a marathon i'd say Um, because a a marathon you can once you once you hit your 20 and then you you kind of drop your caffeine that's when you feel like you're a raging bull and and you're in the danger zone yeah yeah exactly and you're really having to hammer and and what it might be as well is because you're running for a time and so you are pacing the whole t- the whole way, looking at specific time, which, yeah. which happens less in ultras because, um, and maybe it would, that would happen in a hundred miler because um, it is a set distance, and therefore I'm going to have a set target in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get what you mean. I I love road. A road marathon is still they're running a, f- a fast road marathon. Is still, to me, probably the greatest thing in running. I, I mean, I, I really love going long, and I love the whole experience, but. No, nothing's going to come close to to being to executing a marathon right just running hard out of the gate and hanging on for mm. 
yeah, as long as it takes and getting it done. Because you come away afterwards and you're just like, that is the peak of what I could deliver. Yeah. And in a hundred, you never quite know if you've done that because there are so many other variables, I suppose. Um, yeah. But it's definitely worth a stab for you. I mean, you could. Yeah, I think I will at some point. But <coughs> but I and I get the sense you're quite similar, and that I I wouldn't enter a race unless I was prepared to my maximum to deliver the best I could ever do. Sure. So it's just the fact that I'm also looking at thinking, oh my god, I'd have to train so hard to yeah. feel like I could do that. Yeah. And um, how, how far was combat again? How far is it in miles, not kilometers? Uh, 56. So, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's really not. It's not that much more. It's only a few miles more. <laughs> yeah, and I think I will at some point, just because you know that it is there, and um, yeah. I've got no doubt, but it's... It's good also that you're not just feeling, like, obliged to do it. I, I see a mm. lot of good 50-mile runners or mountain runners, you know, doing uh, long-course mountain races, and I'm thinking these guys could really crush the 100-mile distance, you know, when, 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 and, and they don't. And they're just like, no, I, I'm good I'm good at this. I enjoy this. I love this. I don't really just want to end up walking a shitload, for, mm. you know, for the amount. And I've got so much respect for that because I think, I certainly got lured into it by the longer is more, uh, longer is better, I guess. And that definitely is not the case. Um, it's a big sport, isn't it? I mean, you look at it, mm. we consider 50K and 3,100 mile stage races the same thing. And it's like, how is that yeah. even yeah. related? Um, yeah. And, and do, you, do you think that the scene, because you got dragged into it all through really discovering it in america is mm. is is it viewed very differently out there yeah i think participation is more the fields are bigger on the whole there are a lot more races and participation in more local events is definitely more significant i suppose mm. um the range of terrain environments is, is also there. But I think a huge thing for America is just having Western states. It's such a small group of people running that race each year. Yeah. But it is so massively prominent, um, you know, and mainstream that the awareness of the sport is bigger. Um, it's also it's been going much more seriously, the trail scene there for a long, long time. We're always about five to ten years behind them, really. Yeah. Um, in terms of everything. Um and it's definitely still the case now. Actually, the proliferation of events here is probably as great pro rata, but the proliferation of you know higher end races with bigger fields over significant distances is much lower. Um, it is inspiring to see what some people have you know achieved over there in terms of organisation as well. Um, it's a good scene, the US scene. I'd recommend it. It's always the, the barrier is the cost. You know, it just costs mm. a fucking fortune to go and do stuff over Talking, there. Talking of which, uh, Mr. Elson, there was a rumour that you were doing Barkley Marathons. Yes. I did have an entry to the Barkley <laughs> can you, Marathons. Can you confirm oh. or deny the rumour? Yeah, I did I did have an entry for this year. I think that's fair to, to uh, talk about. I forget because I'm not in Barclay mentality. I forget what I can and can't say. But yes, I did have a place. No, it didn't happen this year. And I am hopeful that at some point in the future it will be forthcoming. Um, Why? What so can you, if you get one, if you get one, can you defer it? Uh, <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, okay. It's very, okay. it's very different. 
Barclay is very different for international mm. uh, runners against the US. Um, there is a process. There is, um, you know, there is the whole rigmarole and the whole charade. Um, okay. But ultimately, the end of it is one human being, and that human being makes race director-esque decisions where yeah. he is his race. If he wants somebody to do it, they're, they're going to do it. Um, and whether he allows deferrals or not on a regular basis, I don't know. I think every situation there is different. Um, but, um, yes, I hope to go back. Why I didn't do it this year is uh, it's a long story, but basically just family stuff. We've got very young. Is kids it is it and, uh, is it something in theory that you might like to do in the future? I f- yes, I felt this year was the first time. I mean, having been around the sport for quite a long time and known quite a lot of people who've done it, I, I had the details of let's just say how I could potentially proceed with an entry for a long time and never yeah. felt I was in a place really, I, I would never want to go to Barclay and not finish, yes, not feel like I could fit. Not, I, I don't, I'm not suggesting I'm on the same level of Jared Campbell or Brett Mountney, but I, I would like to go out there and think, you know, two, three laps, especially because my, my navigation's pretty good from having done a lot of it in the mountains. Um, I would like to think I would stand a decent chance of getting some laps away. Mm. And I knew um, this year that I was not going to do that. And I just didn't want to go out there and fuck a lap up and never be invited back. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, well, so. well, just in just in case you don't make it out there, I'd like to formally invite you to the uh, bad boy running Barclays Marathon, which involves <laughs> running around London and getting balances out of various, various Barclays cash <laughs> machines and then bringing them to me, Laz, and I check that you've been to every um every uh cash machine barclays cash machine <laughs> in london and then you get nothing you will get nothing that um, is absolutely inspired i mean stroke of genius <laughs> and weirdly going to be so much more fun than uh, the potential of going to frozen head state park i would say oh, oh it's not when i'm the race director believe <laughs> me <laughs> how much distance are we talking is this is this a major uh, thing or is it like it's going to be quite. Basically, I'm going to set everybody off in, in opposite directions with blindfolds on, so we'll see how, how well they get on and how many casualties we get. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you because I'm very interested in this whole like gender split thing in ultra running because mm. obviously I'm like girl, I'm a girl, I'm a female lady. Um, so <laughs> obviously, I've, I've, I am. I've been to um, a couple of. I've been to a couple of your races. I did Autumn 100. I did South Downs. Um, this year and obviously I get to the start and I'm eating my saurine fruity malt loaf and behaving like an idiot um, <laughs> and I always see loads of guys like loads um, and I don't know if it's me but because I'm always looking at like how many women there are just not for competition's sake but more for you know who can I run with that sort of thing so, yeah so what is your agenda like and are you bothered by people being like it should be 50 50 or it should be this or it should be that like what is your view on it it's that's a very very interesting question um our gender split is really really one-sided uh in the hundreds races like the north downs hundreds mm. i mean it can be as low as 11 or 12 percent uh in recent years um in fact since the beginning it's risen it's rising slowly but in the last 250s we got into the low 20 percent which mm-hmm. is the, the you know both record numbers yeah. um and we try to promote that um you know when when a new record gets set whether it's closest to a cut off or you know best gen most equal gender split or course record doesn't matter i try to mention it in the race reports and i mm. think that 
subject has got, almost got to the point where every angle has been talked about, you know, from you know numerous points. Would we want to see a 50-50 yeah. split? I mean, of course. I mean, from my perspective as an organiser, women come in better prepared, more respectful of the distance. They pace the rate. I mean, literally across the board, every guy could learn from looking at any other woman. Um, in terms of her pacing and the way she she ran the race splits from a splits perspective, it is embarrassing when you compare the top ten guys to top ten women. You know, regularly the lead woman will be thirty or fortieth overall at the first checkpoint and finish you know top four or top five. Yeah. And it's just like you know, guys, just take a look. Um, so for making my life easier, it would be it would be far better to have more women. But I think. Um, I think we're headed that way. I know that the multi-stage stuff like XNRG type events and Neil Thurbron over there is a really good friend of mine, but they're at pretty much parity, which mm-hmm. which I think there are a number of factors that come into play, particularly with the 100-mile distance, the, the training time, the sacrifice for that, uh, having families around the time that um, – and being primary caregivers around the time that running hundreds comes onto the, the radar – um, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people are still concerned about safety through the night, men and men and women, but mm-hmm. certainly women often don't want to feel like they're out there alone in the countryside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's actually uh, a really big deal, and that's becoming more prevalent at the moment. It seems like people have come to the fact if you get people running through the night, they've got bags, watches, money, phones, and and you know to not protect those people is just ridiculous. Whether it's a man or a woman, if you're tired, you're falling over, and you've got a rucksack on your back, and you're running down through bedding or wherever. That's, that's a really big deal. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's difficult to manage because at, at that happened at Thames Path 100. The last three people were accosted by his group he mm-hmm. used. And basically the first guy, you know, they were a bit mouthy. He ran off. The next guy, they actually confronted him and tried to, you know, nick his stuff. And he sort of smacked the one with his poles and legged it. The amazing. third guy... But obviously we're aware of it thus by this point. The police are aware of it. But we, there are other people on the course that have left the checkpoint. I'm ringing saying you mm-hmm. need to turn turn around now and go back to the checkpoint until the situation's dealt with. We're just lucky that it was just the last few and that actually mm-hmm. the two people that were involved physically both got away pretty much scot-free, although they were very shaken up. Uh, that could easily mm-hmm. have happened halfway through the field. And, and that group could have caused trouble for, you know, quite serious trouble for quite a few people. And as much as we say to people, you need to buddy up, it's better to have a pace, uh, you know, warn people of social hazards. There's literally nothing as an organiser you can do. Um, you could stick a marshal out in, you know, in various places that seem a bit seedier through Reading at night. But that's, I mean, you're clutching at straws. I do think it is an issue and it's particularly an issue at the Thames path just because of the nature of mm. the trail. I mean, reading in the early hours of the morning is not ideal. And we've looked actually at moving the start time just to allow for that. But it's, at some point, because the field is spread out over 10 hours at that stage, somebody is going to be going through an area that isn't great at a not ideal time of day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, I, we asked um is my plug we we have a, a, a little podcast dan lawson and i called the british old train podcast um we uh we spoke to katie carl shipstein who's uh, one of the most prominent uk female runners and asked her the same questions she just said i i really don't know i mean i don't feel that there's any reason why i shouldn't run ultras i've never felt like any 
there's any agenda or any underlying reason it just there's just less women who who are willing to or or want to to do it um yeah i don't know ali why 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 do you think it is because it's something you know we're trying to work on but also we're not ultimately sure if it's something we can work on i suppose Mm. Well, my 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 take on it, and I've looked at it quite a lot, is I feel a lot of uh, the marketing, advertising websites are very much tailored towards men. So they use words like extreme. You don't, but extreme, toughest, survivor, all that sort of stuff. (laughs) They're they're red and black. They're really aggressive. And I'm like, you see pictures of men splashing through mud. You see, if you if you see a picture of a woman, it's a very skinny, fit woman in those tiny shorts that not right. normal women can wear because they chafe yeah. and yet you're yeah. like oh fuck I'm not that person there's no way I can be that person so I think the only way to, to really do it is to get normal people out doing it and then talking about it um, and I think you know women generally um, are stronger than men in that we're the ones that have kids we go back and have other kids we forget pain we're, we can we can organize things a bit more com- compartmentally and I don't think we have as much of a competitive competitive edge as they do so if I see People go out fast, females go out fast on an ultra. I would always be like, okay, we really need to just slow down a bit. And they're like, I feel amazing. I'm like, yeah, but you're not going to feel amazing come 60 miles. And we just need to slow down a bit. And usually the advice goes on board. But ultimately, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. And I'm like, if a woman does not want to run 100 miles, then they don't want to run 100 miles. And it's as, it's as simple as that. And, yeah, and if you go to one of those challenge events, you know, the uh, action challenge ones, there's way more women than men because it's a challenge not a race i think you know it's that kind of thing but yeah but ultimately they need you know women Mm. need role models who are normal who are not Mm. really skinny and don't win these things and aren't like um just normal human beings basically who go out and like you know what i can do this i'm not doing this for any reason other than i know i can do it and there's nothing better than i can do it But, but the other side of that is do they want to do 100 miles because a lot of people don't like we think yeah. it's normal because we do it all the time, but it's it's not that normal, and some no. people just don't. So you know, my no. thing is, do you want to keep fifty percent of your race free for women to enter, and then fifty percent just for men, or do you just want to go look? If you want to do it, do it. If you don't, don't do it. It's it's very yeah. difficult. But I think we'd be in a different situation if we sold our events out in like twenty five yeah. seconds. Yeah. You know, yeah. everybody. Yeah everybody gets i mean our south downs 50 for next year sold out in two weeks which is really fast and absolutely incredible but anybody you know it's totally open for anybody to enter there's no like mad rush it's not just about being online at the right time and having the fastest finger the fact that the percentages are growing is encouraging and i don't i mean i hope there's nothing on our website or in the race info that I hope the out amount of information we give actually helps, you know, with some some of the issues that women are concerned about coming into the sport. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just don't know how long it will be until we see parity. Maybe maybe we won't ever. Um, yeah. Are you seeing the nature of the women who that that expanded eight percent to fifteen percent? Are they the same? Because um, a lot of a lot of women in in ultras um, are quite masculine because they're they're, they're uh, uh, you know they're attracted to the the girl that people are advertising now. Are you seeing that it's actually yeah. changing the? the what do you mean of... quite masculine? What does <laughs> that mean? 
Well, no, what just, does that mean? Well, in, in the same way that you said that it's all very um, challenge, not challenge, it's all very hardest, it's all very um, the grisliest. Those things are all quite masculine traits, very test- testosterone-fueled, yeah. really. And so people who have traditionally run, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of female ultra runners have been people who have thrived in that environment. Um, but are you seeing that now the makeup of females coming into the sport is more broad or is it just more of the same? No, it's, it's, it's always been fairly broad. I think you do get the the, the general theme and, and it's I think it's quite a positive theme that's talked about these days is tough and tough and strong, you know, strong women rather than, you know, using some other ridiculous adjective that people like to throw around. Mm. Um, I think we are getting what what's ten, tending to work quite well is that women who are members of clubs or groups are going away and talking to the other women in that club or group mm. and saying this is an accessible thing. Mm. Um, and then quite often we're getting groups running either together or in pairs or in trios, in particularly having volunteered. Um, we're getting like run, running club takeovers of checkpoints and then we'll see three or four women from that checkpoint running the race the next year because mm. women have greater respect for it than men. Men are so driven by, you know, the, the ego, the I'm going to run 100 miles, I'm a tough bastard thing, whereas mm. women are far more respectful of the whole picture. And so more of them, more of our volunteers, we have more women volunteers than men because mostly because many of them are learning taking the time to learn more before they just dive in with two feet um and therefore over time that is growing um and that's sort of feeding itself which is which is great um but the fact that it's it's already reached um you know an even split in 50k slash um multi-day races that's now the, the 50 mile is increasing which is greater than the 100 which is increasing i think says a lot i think yeah. it's it's directly correlated to the distance in terms of the gender split and and that that tells a, a big story i think and actually part of it might yeah. just thinking about his side um part of it might be in the fact that people identify as ultra runners rather than just runners Mm. I think that is that had, does create a barrier because when we're down at track, I could speak to uh, you know, someone like Chris at, at my club and say, who are the ultra runners in Heathside? And he'd be able to say, well, you do some, Mike's an ultra runner. And there'd be three people they'd name. And in there, it's almost as if you're either an ultra runner or you're a runner. I know. And It's and, dreadful. That. And, yeah, it's and, dreadful. And, and, and that, I, that, I, yeah. just, I use that as an excuse. I use that as an excuse, you know, like at Love Trails, I'm like, dude, I'll come out and run with you, but I'm an ultra runner, so I'm going to go slower. It's just my excuse to go slow. <laughs> Ali, like, you're feeding the bad news. I run marathons every well. fucking weekend. <laughs> I know, but I'm like, I, you know, you run a, far, a marathon faster than me, but I can run 100 miles faster than you can. And, that, and it's, and, you know, that's the thing. Like, if I was to describe myself, I would say I was an ultra runner, but um, not just a runner. I don't know. That's, am I an arsehole? Am I awful? Should I leave? <laughs> well, I think it no. helps create a barrier in people's heads of almost, I'm not an ultra runner, therefore I shouldn't, I'm just a runner, so I shouldn't run ultras. Whereas you, yeah. you'd never get someone who, who runs a 5K and think, oh, I shouldn't run 10K because I'm a 5K runner. But mm. then there definitely is that, that psychological barrier. 
set i think yeah. for a lot of runners anything over a marathon is not their terrain mm. yeah you're right yeah, yeah and it's, it's depressing right. really that a lot of people wander into ali i'm really sorry if this describes you it, it pretty much describes me too if it's any consolation but they wander into ultraland and they never go back out of it um anything less than a marathon becomes pointless and they really mm. they stop trying they don't get faster they actually get yes. slower and if anything it's just an excuse to be lazy uh it, it's not impressive if you've run a 20 hour 100 that you fuck your training up can't really be asked with it get out of shape and then walk a 29 50 finish i mean sure you're tough but that's mm. not impressive what's impressive is attempting to to you know stay in shape and push yourself and, and keep fighting obviously though age is a factor um mm. but it is less of a factor in ultra running so people pointing at the the number next to their name and saying you know i'm 55 56 60 65 now i mean that that doesn't really mean too much in in ultras um it's much more of an even mm. spread across the board mm. so uh, people people seem to use it as a place for excuses um I think <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Now, now I feel really sad. But you know, it's like for me, it's all about it's distance and it's about environment and it's about seeing things that other people wouldn't see. Like I went yeah. out and did ultra tour of Aaron with Hellard this year. I'm like, I, I would never have seen the whole of Aaron if I hadn't done that. And you know, I'm going out to Namibia and Panama, went to Mongolia, and I'm like, I wouldn't have seen those things. So I think for me, it's more like a journey type thing. And yeah. Yeah, and I am fair. pretty lazy. Like, I never go to track. I never do hill reps. I never – but when I go and do a road marathon, I'm like, if it's over four hours, I'll be pissed off. Yes, um, no, that's and, all I mean. And, I mean, fuck, yeah. I mean, training specifically for ultras. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, hill work and, and speed work is going to help you. But but there yeah. is, it's diminishing returns on the volume you need to do or need to race, you know, against the, yeah. the distance. But, yeah, I mean, totally. The whole reason I got into the sport was for travel. Um, mm. that's become less of a f- factor recently just because life changed, but, mm. um, it's still a huge thing for me, you know, to go out and do a race in a, in a, an amazing place or not even a race, you know, that's the other thing, the other great fun. area of the sport is just go and do, you know, something, an adventure of some kind. Um, God, yeah. you can just go on a day trip and do that, or it can be some massive deal, but it's just, it's just, yeah, very fulfilling to be doing that, I think too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Well, um, it sounds that's probably quite a nice time to to call things to end. I, I thought it'd be really good to talk about some of the races you've done, but actually, I think I'd rather leave that to a whole new episode at some point because you've got so many races you can talk about, and uh, rather than trying to cram it into twenty minutes or so. Yeah, yeah, we could yeah. probably talk all night, but yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks uh, so much for coming on. And it's I mean, no, it's a great it, pleasure. I mean, they obviously can find you through Centurion Running. Are there any? You've mentioned you're not a big social media man. Is there anything else? Any blogs or the podcast? How can they find that? Yeah, it's just BritishUltraRunningPodcast.com. I mean, we've I think we've managed 12 episodes in a year. Uh, <laughs> Dan and I are not very good at getting together. Yeah. Dan is um, Dan is um, the son of the universe, and um, he leaves things to the universe. Um, and I am short of time and therefore we're not very good at getting together. But, um, yeah, that's the only thing really that, uh, apart from Centurion that you'll probably find me on, unless you want to see me pouring concrete in our back garden, as Ali has rightly found. I'm very much yeah. enjoying that. Yeah, it is absolutely riveting feed. I have to say, 
Um, it's edge of your seat stuff. It should be on Netflix. <laughs> it really is. It is actually Fun. worth watching because then you know the time when the concrete's fresh and you can go and dingle your dangles in it and have a permanent. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we edit the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks to both of you for all the support as well. Like I mean, you, the do badders have been ever present. I see so many interviews on your. Um, your episode list just of people that I either know or have run with us and yeah. you know that everybody's spoken very highly on the whole of our races on, on there and it's that's great to hear and that's I, down you to know, you though really yeah, 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 but, it's, yeah it's a community and you guys have really built something pretty special so um, yeah if I wasn't trapped at home with two kids under four and, <laughs> and a fucking shitload of building work and a, a really busy job then I would try and make more stuff but yeah, that's yeah. life at this point. A couple yeah. of years' time, it will change, I hope. But it is, it's a bit of a stretch right now. Awesome. Cheers, James. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good Love you. Cheers. Bye. 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 What a nice man. What an epic man. Yeah, I, I don't know if we recorded the, this bit, when I, but he's, he does sound exactly like George Lamb. It's almost uncanny. Sure we didn't get him mixed up? Wouldn't that be funny if it was actually George Lamb we'd asked him... You know, like that guy at the BBC, the taxi driver, who accidentally got interviewed because they thought that he was, like, the the oh, prime minister of some country. Yeah. yeah. Like that. And he'd just been trying... It was George Lamb pretending he was a race director for one of the biggest ultra-running companies in the UK. Well, I think at one point we had trailed that we we were hopefully getting George on because I'd, I'd done a London pacing podcast with him. Um, but he, it never happens. So it, it might be there's someone out there who just tunes in and thinks, oh, they got George on. Wow, I didn't know George was such a good runner. Yeah, oh, George is great. Yeah. George organises races. Let's go to the George Lamathon. Yeah, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Um, it's really interesting, though, speaking to to James. It's it's a, a different setup to his motivations are, are like are far more worthy than you expect from race organisers. You know, because I think most people in his position would be looking to to say, how can I turn this into my full time job? Yeah. But he he doesn't, you know, he he's clearly got this view that he wants his runs to, you know, races to be a certain size because he wants a certain level of um, support and community, and that's incredible. Yeah, and do you know what? The funny thing is, I never considered Centurion to be that like that to be that kind of. To, to want to look after their runners that well. Of course, I've mm. done Centurion races and I know what it's like. And I know that there are lovely volunteers. I know the aid stations are great. I know that if I fall over, uh, there will be help with me within 20 minutes. Mm. But, I, you know, you look at the website and it's, the website's very much like race, result, photos, this, that, the other, yeah. Grand Slam. And it's instructions, proper it's instructions. Fee, isn't it? There's no yeah. funniness in there. There's no, you know, warmth in that. But when you actually go to the events, there is, there is a warmth. And you do get the really competitive guys at the front and you get the you know, the people that just want to complete it towards the back who are a bit more chatty. But, you know, his passion for looking after his runners yeah. is incredible. And I just think that is, you know, it's such a, a wonderful thing to know that the guy that is running the race cares so much about every single yeah. person in the race. Um, it makes you want to, it just makes you want to do more of them. Do you think he needs to innocent smoothie up his website then? Not, I don't know. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I don't know, no, basically. Because the thing that you don't want is the people, you know, it, it annoys me when you get people that do those things that don't take it seriously. So DNF will drop out yeah. and you're like, damn it, I could have had that auto 100 place. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do it properly, but um, 
when I say properly, I mean finish it. Still do it laughing, drinking beer, but finish it. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't think he does need to do that because I think that it's a great website because you know where everything is. Yeah. You get your file, you get your files. If like my mum, my lovely mum, hi mum, she uh, she comes to support me a lot and she gets very confused about where to stand, what to do, how to get there. But all his instructions are very clear. There's there's GPX files, there's maps, there's supporter, yeah. the whole supporter info pack, so you can see exactly where you need to go. So I don't think he needs to change any of that. And also, in a way, it's a bit like I don't want anybody, anybody else signing up for his races because then I won't be able to. Yeah, and actually, for a hundred miler, you need people to. You you don't want people to come into it lightly. So yeah, bluntness definitely definitely key. Um, yeah. be interesting to see how he progresses then if he you know continues to do these big races abroad or if because uh, the the sport is definitely changing and. Yeah. Uh, but also whether he'll do a lot of the UK races and we yeah. know what impact things like Race of the King, Race of the Stones, if, if that's going to be amazing for Centurion because it's it's almost stepping people up to yeah. within biting distance of the 100 miler or whether it, it's just going to make it harder for him to, to have a voice. And, you know, people are because marketing money does make an impact and it does but the thing is you need to have something to market and if he's only got mm. 400 miles a year and they always sell out yeah there's nothing to market there because if, if he was going to put on um you know 800 miles so do mm. two south down ways two north down ways two whatever so a, a lot more people had the opportunity to do a grand slam mm. then maybe that would be a good idea but i don't think he needs to because i think it's word of mouth whenever yeah. anyone asks me what their first hundred should be i always say autumn 100 because it's flat it always comes back to Goring, so your supporters can be there, your bag is there. You can always come back to where your car or your hotel or whatever is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and and I wouldn't pick another one as my first one. I just think the support there is so good. Um, and, you know, it comes down to, like, the fact they are expensive, but I tell you what, it's worth every single penny, and it's not till you've done a shit ultra, a shit cheap ultra, that you realise how brilliant Centurion are looking after people. And, and interesting enough, after the interview... Claire was uh, Claire was here, and she pretty much said, "Well, we're going to have to do one of those at some point, aren't we?" So or, or she might even said, "Are we doing one of those next year?" So uh, we did check the dates. Did you think Autumn 100's better than um, Thames Path 100 as a first? Um, I haven't, haven't done their Thames Path 100, but I have done the Thames Path 48,925 times, and it is flat as fuck, and it's boring. So. I think autumn is better because it's out and back. It's in the shape of a cross. Goring Village Hall sits in the middle. So you go yeah. out 12 and a half, back 12 and a half, then out a different route, 12 and a half, back 12 and a half. Um, it's got a bit of road, it's got quite a lot of trail. It's got the Ridgeway, which is the bit that you run at night. Um, mm. And then it's got the uh, river, the Thames Path, which goes out into the nice bit of the Thames Path. Actually, it does go through Reading. Forgot about that. So make sure you have a pacer. Um, but it's great because it does come back to... The, the, the beginning so you you can't have crew mm. uh, you can have paces but you you can very easily access your kit your food your nutrition everything is in there that you need and also if your family or anyone wants to come and support you it's very very easy to find mm. um so that's why i liked it and also october is a good time because it's not usually torrential rain or snow and it's not boiling hot whereas thames path is usually boiling hot yeah um yeah. so yeah as far as i'm concerned i mean i'm doing a thames path ultra in august which is a four day and fuck knows why i'm doing it because i hate the thames path but it's almost <laughs> like i have to conquer the whole goddamn thing or else 
that's it. So the only problem with me doing Grand Slam next year is Thames Pass for me because I'm I don't like running on hard ground. Running on but, hard ground for a hundred miles. But then that's going to be the first one, so it's it's the right time to do it. It's the right order. Yeah, I'm going to have to do it. But I'd recommend as a first one, I would go and do a trail one. I really would. So it could well maybe it is next autumn then. It's going to be yeah. Claire and my first hundred miler. Um, amazing. Both doing it together. That would be that'd be interesting. Hmm. I think it would be fun because it's out and back, so you get to see each other. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Well, we'll have it. We'll have a think. Um, we've got a bit of time before we need to sign up, I think. But uh, well, I guess we should uh, call it a day there then. Yes, I just want to mention something that I'm going to do yeah. in the next few weeks um, because it's school holidays. Yay, school holidays! Uh, I have found our youngest do better. Okay. Uh, his name is Oscar, and he's eight years old. Um, now, Oscar has listened to a lot of the podcasts in the car with his dad because his dad is a bad parent and lets him <laughs> listen to them. Oscar knows the podcast so well. If you ask him, what's your favourite episode? He'll say, episode 84, this person, that person, the other person. And you're like, whoa. What's the worst we, one? We give the fuck you Oscar out there. Fuck yeah, you, Oscar. Fuck you, Oscar. Um, sorry, that's one pound in the swear box for me. Um, but uh, so basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to go on the group at some point and I'm going to ask what the Dubaders would like me to ask Oscar about members of the group. And we would do a little mini half hour um, special where I ask Oscar his opinion on people. Um, also, just to let you know, East Farm Frolic, it's the bank holiday weekend in August. That is the next UTDB event and the Bad Boy Running Summer Holiday. So we are going to do, there's a marathon, there's a frolic, and we've got about 25 do-badders signed up. And what's a frolic? A frolic is a 12-hour race that you can do in teams or on your own. So uh-huh. it's loops, I think about 6K loops. And if you've got a team of four, you do a loop, sit by the bar, wait for them to come in. Yeah. There's a barn dance, there's a bar, it's dog-friendly, you can bring your kids. Um, there will be many mini do-badders there. So if anyone wants to sign up, go onto the White Star Running um, website, Sign up for the for the whole weekend, get in your tent, bring your kids down, and it's going to be absolutely epic, and you will meet all of the do-badders. Quality. Sounds great. Yes. It's going to be fun. Summer party. Perfect. Well, um, if you've enjoyed this episode, then other ultra runners we've spoken to uh, include Robbie Britton, who spoke to Rennie McGregor. She talks about nutrition for 100 milers. In fact, we've, got a, we've had a lot of 100 mile runners on um camille maybe Heron. we should get some maybe we should get some longer ones maybe we should get some 184s or 625s oh no we've done that one <laughs> well actually we've got two people coming up who i'm really excited about first we've got harvey lewis who he's won bad water and he's preparing oh. for it again so we're going to have a whole episode of bad water in the next hopefully three four months so three four weeks <laughs> three four no. months, probably three four years <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but also we've got a guy called is it Ben Greenfield? It's definitely called Ben, and he is a biohacker who's been what? using. He's a biohacker who's been using all of the new modern breakthroughs and not necessarily proven, but suspected um, things you can do where he's injecting himself with stem cells. He's done all these this crazy shit to his body in the aim of making himself a better athlete. What, is he like a doctor or something? Or does he just buy the shit off the internet and inject it to himself? I'm not 100% sure. I'm hoping he just gets it all from Thailand. And he's basically the guy who clicks on every advert for, um, have you 
you know, does your penis need this? Does your maybe that maybe that's what he's doing, but he's, it's his way of monetizing it. But um, oh my but, god, I've got this image of him on the screen looking like something out of a Marvel comic, you know, like having green scales and being massive and having five eyes. I think it's going to be like the Million Dollar Man. He's half really? biotic and yeah. Wow. So we're going to be talking to him. If you've got any questions you'd like us to ask those two, get in the Facebook group or messages uh, letters at badboyrunningpodcast.com. Um, please subscribe. Please. Uh, I'd recommend it to your friends and if there's anyone out there you'd like us to interview they don't have to necessarily be a runner but ideally someone who's a do-badder or is an adventurer in some way then recommend them to us we'll go out and get them and get them on the podcast brilliant Yay! well thanks for that Ali we'll uh, I sure right, speak to you speak soon, to you soon. Uh, bye 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 Admit I was a clone to be messing around But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town Come back Yes, and give me one more try Cause a love like this should I never ever die Come back yes. uh, f- Fuck you, buddy <laughs> <laughs>